The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Each business is unique and operated individually of others in the same industry. What they have in common is the potential path to success. Welcome to The Second Stage with your hosts, Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. In today's program, we'll address the obstacles that many businesses find on that path to success and discuss what entrepreneurs and their businesses are doing to stay ahead of the curve. Now, here is Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to The Second Stage. This is uh, Brendan Anderson and uh, Jeff is uh, out and about uh, conducting other uh, evolution uh, business today. So you get the thrill of hang- having uh, me uh, kind of jot or, or jolt around all over the place again, but uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. Actually, this uh, this uh, segment is um, um, the guest is a guy named Jack McDonald, and Jack is a very successful serial entrepreneur uh, that uh, I've actually known for a very long period of time. He's uh, been part of my EO Quantum Leap Forum. So it's a group of uh, people from different uh, EO chapters to get together um, on a very regular basis. We've been getting together with uh, our, our chapter, our forum mates for, wow, five or six years or so. So I've really gotten to see how Jack's been able to operate. But uh, this episode is on uh, entrepreneur's perspective, uh, reflections on a successful exit. Uh, we're going to touch on such wonderful, wonderful uh, concepts as uh, partner alignment, which we talk about you know a lot on this show. Third-party expertise, you know, a look at your business from an investor's point of view, and the, the importance of the importance of focusing on cash flow, and then obviously uh, life uh, after an exit. Um, Jack has. Uh, I'm going to read the the kind of the the the, the Jack's background, but uh, he's the co-founder of Lisa Distribu- uh, Distrib- Distribution Inc. And uh, over the past few years, um, um, we, like I mentioned, we've known him, and he's uh, we're thrilled to have him as a guest here on the second stage. Uh, we will discuss the importance of back to basics approach, focusing on cash flow and, inter- and internal alignment, as well as the role um, of an objective third party assessment played in Mr. McDonald's success. We cannot overemphasize how important it is for business owners and entrepreneurs to plan for the for the uh, successful exit. Kind of think think uh, finish big. Um, Self reflection and focus on vision, strategy, culture, and financial metrics can make all the difference between an exit on your terms versus that of others. Remember, everyone will someday exit his or her business, so why not plan for it? Done right, the exit can be as exciting and as satisfying as starting the business. Done wrong, of course, can quite can be quite the opposite. Um, so we uh, we're, we'll uh, bring uh, Jack in the second in the uh, second segment. Um, let me talk a little more about kind of Lisa. It's again he he and a co-founder started this from scratch. It's a leading supplier of premium surfaces of countertop sinks, vanity tops, uh, um, wall cladding in showers, which is which he successfully exited in 2015. Uh, Jack is an avid student of entrepreneurship, active in the EO organization, as I mentioned, a graduate of the EO at MIT Enter, um, Entrepreneurial Master's Program. And he also is uh, works you know very actively in the Scouts and in the, on the board of the Dix Mills Villages, a nonprofit organization that strives 
uh, to better the lives of thousands of artisans and small business people in developing countries. So uh, we're... Uh, uh, we're excited to have him on. Um, I do want to remind everybody else, too, that uh, the, the last episode uh, that we had was um, Dr. Carl Scheller, who is uh, the managing director of the Berkeley uh, Research Group and author of Equity Value Enhancement, a tool, of leverage, a tool to leverage human and financial capital um, uh, while managing risk. You can uh, find him at uh, the Berkeley Research Group, www.thinkbrg.com. Uh, Dr. Scheller uh, you know, brought his wisdom of the 25 years of uh, litigation experience and talking about, you know, again, a guy that just really has done lots and lots of this stuff. Um, and uh, his background, quite frankly, in the in business, military operations, strategic planning, finance, uh, academic background to uh, to address complex risk measurements and uh, management and mitigate issues. Uh, his public and private company experience includes family business office um, business and business office valuations um, and. Uh, uh, advisory services associated with intergenerational planning, equity transfers with estate and gift tax issues, as well as partial and full liquidity event options and disruptions. Uh, he's a national thought leader on independent uh, on identifying and quantifying risks and how intangible assets affect value. I strongly encourage. It, it was really an, an unbelievable thought leader and a, a wonderful resource. Um, I would uh, encourage anybody to not only listen to listen to the, doc, the episode on Dr. Scheller, uh, but to uh, re- find us on um, the. Uh, Voice America Business Channel, which is uh, voiceamerica.com. You can go uh, download the Voice America uh, mobile app um, for um, iOS or the Android. Uh, you can um, find us on iTunes by searching The Second Stage. Um, and uh, as always, any of the iTunes listeners, I strongly, strongly, strongly encourage you to, uh, uh, to after listening to us, to rate um, our, uh, our, uh, our shows. And... Um, so uh, what's uh, kind of moving on to uh, back to, to back to Jack? I, th- I think it's uh, really incredible what Jack's done. He literally, as I mentioned earlier, had uh, um, started a business, started several businesses, grew one to over twenty two million dollars. And uh, when we um, you know come back, we're kind of hit him with all of how he did all that stuff. Uh, I do. Uh, um, I do want to remind everybody that, and, uh, or basically thank our sponsors, uh, McGladry LLP, the leading provider of assurance tax consulting services focused on small and mid-sized businesses everywhere with more than 6,700 uh, 6, people in, um, in 75 U.S. cities. Um, so I will uh, – we're uh, excited to bring Jack on, and uh, when we come back, we'll find out how you go from zero to $22 million. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of, a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Thank you, and welcome back to the second stage. Uh, I want to remind everyone that, that each week we want to provide actionable advice and have you continue the dialogue through comments and questions on our blog at evolutioncp.com. We do want to hear uh, from you and what works, what doesn't work, and any suggestions uh, as to uh, how to make the show better or, uh, or quite frankly, um, um, ways we can help other entrepreneurs. Please, please, please let us know. Hey, I'd like to uh, welcome uh, Jack McDonald to the second stage. Jack, how are you? Hi, Mo. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Are you up in beautiful Montreal today? It's not beautiful right now. It's, uh, it's about uh, 30 degrees uh, uh, Fahrenheit, uh, rainy, snowy, and miserable. Plus, we have a federal election going today, so it's always a great day. <laughs> but you're, you know, I, what, uh, what our listeners don't know is you are a, a true history uh, buff, so you, you probably enjoy that stuff more than the average uh, person. Is that a fair statement? Uh, yeah, un- unfortunately, that's, that's a fair statement. Yeah, I think Unfortunately, my, what are you kidding me? For my, makes it unpleasant for my kids' friends when they come over, but uh, they they have to suffer through it. Well, I can tell you, we uh, in our uh, forum group, we uh, we frequently uh, re- rely on Jack to give us all the uh, background on anything that not only happened in his country, Canada, but also our country and other countries. So, thanks for that. Hey, Jack. You know, obviously, you have a, a wonderful background in, in entrepreneurship, and I, you know, we'll, we'll get into some more of that a little bit. I I do know obviously you pretty well, and. Uh, uh, your background in in scouts, and maybe talk about kind of how you know you obviously spend a lot of time in that, and maybe talk about you know the, how how that how scouts have impacted your life, and and maybe you know your sons too. Absolutely, the my family uh, connection with uh, Scouts Canada goes back to my grandfather, who was the international commissioner of uh, Scouts Canada back in the fifties, um, and then through my father, who was was uh, very very active for 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 decades. And then my involvement in Scouts goes back to when I was uh, about eight years old when I was a, a wolf cub, which in I guess is the equivalent of, of Weebelows maybe down in, in the States. And uh, I continue to be involved uh, as, as a leader now. But to your question as to what impact has Scouts had in my life, I think that was in, uh, it taught me in my first real experience of being independent and that I could actually fend for myself uh, and, and manage things on my own. So, uh, when you're camping as a 10 or 11 and 12 year old and you're responsible for doing your own shopping, making sure all the details are taken care of, making sure you have the adequate uh, shelter, uh, the, necess- the necessity to cook your food, etc. Uh, when you don't have your mom or your dad there to hold your hand and, and remind you of things forgotten. It's, it's a really good lesson and, I, and kids at that age are, are um, surprisingly uh, quick to pick up and, and cover details when they know it, it, their food and their hunger and their enjoyment of a weekend is, is going to be dependent on it. And so from an entrepreneur's point of view, I found that's where I learned that uh, you don't always have to work for somebody big or have something, just have a big, big structure above you. You can actually do things on your own and have a great time and be successful, but the details still need to be taken care of. And I do have a question. For, so 
when if you think back the way you know how tough you are on your son versus maybe how how tough your father or whatever the past generations are you are you about the same you've been able to hold that or are you a little easier on on him than they were on you wow that's a great question i think uh because I'm a pansy, parents. as you know, so I just oh, yeah, I, yeah, 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 I, I, I mean, my, my son trembles in fear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I think we're all tough on our, our sons uh, as, as fathers, and, and it's interesting. My, I think my wife is harder on our daughter, and I'm harder on, on our son because I think I'm able to see him making the same idiotic, stupid mistakes that I made that are completely avoidable, but he's, he's bound and determined that he's, that he's going to make them. My dad was, uh, he was, he was a, he wasn't is a great parent, but I, I don't seem to recall him giving the same degree of guidance that I seem to be doing for my son. Um, but my dad really believed in letting people learn by experience. And so I'm not sure which model is better. I suspect, you know, hindsight, uh, will be that my dad's model of, you know, letting me speed over a speed bump and crash versus me trying to smooth out the speed bumps might be the better model. But it's pretty hard to change. I'm, I'm, I don't know if it's our generation of parents, but we just seem to be conditioned to, to smooth things out for our kids as much as we can. We are who we are. All right, Absolutely. so uh, I, you, you gave me a tour of a, of a, uh, of a, is it a Masonic temple? So a Freemason mm-hmm. and when we were touring in D.C. Tell me about the Freemasons and your kind of involvement sure. with them. Absolutely. We, it was actually a, a Scottish Rite, uh, a Scottish Rite temple that we, we toured, but that is a, uh, details, details, called go ahead. Concordant branch. Yeah, that's right. So typically of uh, Scottish Rite Masons are, uh, are, uh, uh, people who have been in regular Freemasonry for a while and then have and moved on to and well, continue to be involved. And, and this is another branch of Freemasonry. But no, I, once again, I, I became a Freemason when I was 21. And um, I grew up both in, in going to church uh, as a scout and, and uh, in, a, in, a, in a Masonic family. My grandfather was very involved and my father was involved. And that's probably where I learned a lot of my moral compass, um, particularly around the, the, the issues that, you know, you judge people by who they are, not by their religion, not by their, their race, their, their color, their orientation. And that, you know, if somebody has to be worthy of your, of your friendship and of your respect, uh, and it's not based on what they are, but, but who they are and, and, and the content of their character. I'd, I'd like to say that all Masons apply that. And like any organization involving humans, there the, you know, a lot of people are members for perhaps the wrong reasons. But it's, it's an outstanding organization, especially if you take the tenets and teachings to heart about the, the importance of uh, fraternity, the importance of judging people, uh, you know, based on, on the right criteria and not, not some uncontrollable that, that in their life. All right, I, I think I know the answer from when you and I uh, toured the, that in DC. Um, so how how is you're also a Shriner, and so what is so a Shriner is part of being a Freemason? Yeah, it's sort of like um, the, the way they if you if you think of uh, Freemasonry as the base organization, and there's sort of different branches that 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 come off it, and each shrine uh, is sort of independent of itself in the way it operates. And some Shriners, you have to be a member of one of the Scottish Rite or the York Rite before you can become a Shriner, and then other Shrine temples operate under the premise you just have to be a Master Mason. And the Shriners is a, is a phenomenal uh, organization. It, it runs 21 or 22 hospitals worldwide that deal with, uh, you know, mainly pediatric uh, or pediatric orthopedics, which is you know kids who have issues around their their bones and their posture and things like that, and also some outstanding burn units, pediatric burn units. Um, 
where the the the, the services provided um, to to people based on need. And so there are outstanding hospitals whereby if your need, your, your financial, uh, your, your ability to pay is not part of the criteria. So you often hear stories of somebody who has a child with, with club feet or brittle bones uh, disease and, and a Shriners that will knock on their door and say to their parents, you know, you know, we're Shriners, we can help you. And the reaction often to the parents is, well, we can't afford to pay. And the Shriners say, well, that's, we're not here to get, be paid. We're here to help your child. And the, the stories are legion of kids who have been, been helped with truly world-class care at, at no cost to their parents. And it's, it's, it's absolutely a, it's a very, very satisfying organization to belong to. I'm not nearly as involved uh, as I should be. My dad is, was the, the head of the, sh- the shrine uh, unit here in, in Montreal and Quebec called Karnak. And uh, so he's, he's the, the, the real flag carrier in our family for the Shriners. But when, when I retire, it's an organization I'll get much, much more involved with. It's, it's, it's really something. Well, I've always been amazed that, and uh, I was saying to Barbara before the start of the show that, you know, you've done a wonderful job keeping a growing, you know, growing businesses and keeping a wonderful kind of uh, business uh, personal life balance between, you know, uh, the the family, um, the Scouts, the Freemason, and you know, kind of always kind of keeping it in, you know, keeping that that balance, and that's that's hard to do. Uh, especially uh, as hard as it is to you know to run and grow a business. Moving on to business, though, um, and 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 I, I re- truly respect you for that. Before I move on to business, I wanted to make sure you knew that. I think you do, but uh, hopefully, hopefully you uh, you know you, uh, it's a it's a wonderful thing. Hey, um, well, I Jack, mean, did, Brendan, I know I know the hours you've spent driving your uh, son and sons around to hockey and and all the other things. So it, uh, I think that's what makes uh, that that's what makes uh, your ability to 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 have perspective in business and. So I, I appreciate it and I acknowledge it, but I, I think you're underplaying the uh, with the role you've, you've the time you spent, the hours and weekends you've spent. So it's it's I, I appreciate it, but but uh, you do your more than your fair share as well. <laughs> well, I uh, anyways, we'll uh, I uh, we'll, we'll debate that over a scotch or whatever the Absolutely. heck we decided to drink that day. Yeah. Um, hey, walk me through your entrepreneurial background. How did you get going in this? Because it really is amazing. I mean, you know, you've been you've been doing this for a long time and taking a couple cuts here. Yeah. So um, I come from I come from an entrepreneurial family. My mother's father, uh, my mother's grandfather, actually ran had started his own business. My grandfather uh, ran and started a successful machine distribution business in Montreal for for years and years and years. Uh, and then I started my first business when I was seventeen. And like a lot of us, it was just more a matter of circumstance than uh, than design. My sister was uh, working for a dental office, and they fired their cleaners. And she came home that evening and said, "You know, would you like to?" clean their offices and I went from there to uh, having a team of eight guys and cleaning uh, seven days a week, uh, numerous dental, real estate, insurance, uh, churches, etc. So it, it started there and since, since I was 17 until uh, six months ago, I've always had a business. Even when I was working for three years for somebody else, I, I still had my office cleaning business. So it, it started small and modestly. I think I've made every possible mistake that you can make, and I know there's a lot more that I've got ahead of me to make, but uh, uh, it, it's, it's, I think it's just something that started uh, when I was 17 and I, and I caught the bug. I was a very bad employee for three years, and uh, I realized quickly uh, after that experience that I'm, I'm ill-suited to work for, uh, I'm unemployable. 
Well, I, I have said without using your name to a lot of people that was was I've worked with uh, somebody on kind of kind of uh, reshaping their business, and you are you are a good learner. You do listen and uh, implement the things in a, in a in a faster pace than most entrepreneurs. So uh, I congratulate you for that too. Um, so you started the cleaning business. You worked for somebody else, and then you then you had a, a an, another business. What? Tell me how you got into face to face and what that was all about, and kind of what what did you learn there? Yeah, that was that was a really good learning experience. It was one of these classic uh, situations where I had a friend of mine who was very unhappy where he was working, and uh, he approached me and said, "Look, let's let's start a business." We had no idea uh, what we were what we would start, and we started looking at various ideas and, and opportunities. We looked at franchises, and finally, we came up with uh, the idea of, of selling pizzas and uh, frozen pizza and Panzerati and cookie dough to schools. As, as a means of a fundraiser. And how did you think of that, just for entertainment value? How well, did that come to you? Actually, you know, no, it's good. He was working for a and it, he was working for a company that manufactured pizzas in in Toronto, and they had a customer who was buying a lot of pizzas to sell to uh, to schools. And we thought, well, if this guy's doing it. There's no reason why we can't do a better job because, of course, you know, we're younger, smarter, and all those arrogant things that you you have when you're in your late in your late twenties. The big, big, big benefit I got from that is two things. One, I met my wife as a result of this partnership. Uh, really? More important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, his wife and my wife were best friends and uh, yeah, they inadvertently invited us both down to their house for a weekend and, and, and the rest, as they say, is, is history. But from a business perspective, the big takeaway was if you is uh, structuring a business badly uh, is going to make it extremely painful. So what we did is we structured our business as if it was too separate businesses, meaning I ran the Quebec branch as an independent business, and he ran the Ontario branch as, as a separate business. And the, the flaw to that logic was I was not a, a natural salesman, and, and, uh, and John was not, a natural, um, was not as naturally organized on the administrative side. So he was spending a disproportionate amount of his time doing administration, not particularly well. And I was doing a, a spending a disproportionate amount of my time being an absolutely atrocious salesperson. And because John was a better salesman, the Ontario uh, part of the business uh, was succeeding much more successfully than was the, the Quebec side of the business. So we structured the business badly as opposed to capitalizing on our individual strengths. Number two big takeaway from this is he and I never really resolved our decision-making process. We were equal partners, but the manner in which we came to, to decisions uh, discovered was very, very different. He was very much into uh, intimidation and, and, and bullying, you know, and, and his point, he was right, you know, uh, his way, it was his way or the highway. And my model, which fit much better with my subsequent business partner was let's, let's, you know, hammer things out and discuss it and negotiate and, and try and try and make it work. So my big takeaway and suggestion that I've made to entrepreneurs that I've spoken to subsequently is if you're going to have a partnership, don't. But if you do decide to have a partnership, <laughs> find some object you vehemently disagree on, be it abortion, Republican, Democrat, uh, the death penalty, uh, something that's truly French is a main language, things like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, what's, what's brand of scotch? And then, and then hammer out what the company's policy is going to be it and, and on that subject and as if you're going to be publishing it. So one of you is going to have to concede or you're going to have to come up with something that you're going to publicly state as a company policy on something you fundamentally disagree on. And the reason why it's important is because it'll help you determine how the two of you or three of you resolve issues. 
And if it's one guy, it's absolutely his way or the highway. That'll work if, if the other partner's passive. If the other pers- partner is not a passive uh, person, you can wind up with spending a disproportionate amount of time fighting over, over stupidity. So that was another area where we badly fl- uh, flawed our design. And so in that case, the business only lasted, the partnership lasted about a year. And then the, 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 my branch, if you will, of face-to-face limped along for another, I think, till about 1998 or something when we finally pulled the pin on it with, subs- with pretty severe losses. But that, but so you learned a lot, and you took that, and you decided you were going to get in the chimney sweep business. How 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 does that come to pass? Well, that was more of a function of desperation, as is the fundraising business was eating up all my savings. Uh, I was becoming increasingly desperate, uh, and I my wife made a, a suggestion to me uh, that I speak to the person I was sharing my offices with. So I was sharing my offices with with a guy who was running another business who had a chimney sweep business. And she suggested to me that I talk to Mark, uh, who subsequently became a good friend and obviously my long-term business partner, that I, I speak to him about maybe working for him, you know, on a contract basis, cleaning chimneys to, to help cover the bills while, you know, the quiet season in, in the fundraising business was, was going on. Anyway, one thing led to another. I, I spoke to Mark. He, he readily agreed to have me uh, work uh, sweeping chimneys. But very quickly, we discovered that we had a, an excellent ability to work together and that we truly complemented each other's uh, strengths and weaknesses. And after about a year, Mark suggested that we, you know, that I buy into the business. And initially, it was at a minority position. And then subsequently, over about two or three years, we brought that up to, to an equal partnership. And uh, we, the contribution I helped Mark there was we, we opened up two new branches. We started distributing chimney caps and chimney supplies to, to, um, to some of our competitors. We sold to a, to a large uh, Canadian retailer, uh, our chimney caps. And so I was able to allow Mark to focus on his tr- skill, which is sales. And then I took over the administration and, and ops side of the business, which is, which is my, my forte. And that was a situation by happenstance, we happened to uh, come up with a very solid working uh, relationship. All right. Well, I'm gonna. We're gonna take a break right now. But when we get back, um, we're gonna, we're gonna learn how you took all of those wonderful um, uh, learning experiences and successes and failures and parlayed it into a zero to twenty two million dollar business. So uh, we'll be uh, right back uh, in a couple minutes uh, with the second stage. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of. A team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. 
To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to The Second Stage. Please uh, please uh, remember you can contact us. We're looking for uh, thoughts, ideas, comments on, uh, on, uh, on, on our forum. Uh, you can reach us at, uh, on Twitter at uh, evolution underscore CP uh, and join, uh, join uh, the discussion using hashtag uh, The Second Stage, T-H-E, number 2-N-D, stage. And then, of course, you can always email us at thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. We are back uh, with Jack McDonald, uh, lifelong entrepreneur, and we're about ready to get into how you take a company from zero to twenty-two million in revenue and kind of uh, the thrills of that. Jack, tell me about uh, Lisa Distribution. Absolutely. So, Mark, uh, Mark Hanna, and I were the guys uh, in uh, the chimney business, and um, in two thousand, we had an interesting opportunity come to us uh, via Mark's family to sell. Uh, uh, a product made by Samsung, the big Korean conglomerate, uh, called, and the product they were selling was Staron, which is really a knockoff of the, of the very well-known DuPont product called Corian, which is a uh, an acrylic product using countertops. Um, Corian was a very, very, and continues to be a very successful brand. It's literally, in our industry, the Kleenex of, of the industry. Samsung was trying to break into the Canadian market, and so they spoke to um, Mark, uh, a member of Mark's family who was very active uh, fabricating this stuff, which means taking these sheets of material and turning it into countertops. And so um, uh, Mark's uncle passed the opportunity on to us. And uh, so Samsung, representatives of Samsung came to visit us in Montreal. Remember, we were chimney sweeps at this point, and so they came to visit us in the, the house that we owned, and the grotty garage uh, attached to it, which we were, which were our offices and workshop. And these guys came from this massive, internationally known and renowned Korean company. And somehow we were able to convince them that we would be able to sell, sell their products. And so we started uh, in, in 2000 uh, selling in Eastern Canada these, these sheets of, of acrylic material. We were very, very, very excited being relatively young, uh, we thought we were the cat's meow. We knew all about distribution, having sold chimney caps. You know, we had an inventory of, you know, $15,000 of chimney caps, and we were selling them to a big retailer, so we figured we, we knew everything there was to know. The big surprise to us, which we discovered very, very quickly, is it takes an awful lot of cash to uh, to support uh, an inventory of, you know, two or $300,000, which is what we, we were, were required to, to start with because Samsung required that we buy an entire container load and we pay for it up front. Then we discovered in this particular industry that people tend not to pay as quickly as they did in our chimney sweeping industry, and the typical payment cycle was about 90 days. So we were very, very heavily stretched out for the first two or three years of the business. Uh, we, grew, we grew relatively rapidly. We sold a, only about $200,000 the first year, about a million the second year. And by about 2005, we were, we were tickling around uh, $4 million in sales. All By this point, we were selling across, across, across Canada. Uh, all, this whole time, for those first five years, Mark and I were making about $15,000, $20,000 a year each, and that's literally the total we were making. We went from no personal debt to being massively in debt personally. 
literally there was times when we would sit and he'd come into my office or I'd go into his and we'd just look at each other and laugh. I mean, what else we were going to do? Our, our debit cards were being refused half the time. Uh, you know, one point in time it was either Mark's wife or, or my wife called and said, I need to decide if I'm going to buy milk or am I going to buy diapers for the children? I can't afford, we can't afford both. <laughs> what, well, you definitely go with I milk, buy? right? Yeah. Definitely well, with milk. I, I think I, I said forget either and buy a bottle of scotch was the actual, <laughs> the, the final decision. But um, we, we limped along, uh, struggling with, you know, literally the third tier banks in Canada. One thing about being a Canadian entrepreneur, our banks up here are huge. They're very stable, but they're incredibly conservative. They will not look at a startup uh, unless with the most extraordinary circumstances before you have two or three years of, of, of business behind you and ideally profit. So it, it was tough. Um, so the way we grew that was, uh, as I say, Mark is an outstanding salesman and we were able to grow our business slowly. We had a salesperson in our chimney business that we were able to migrate over and we were able to support the, the, this fledgling business with, with the proceeds and strength of our, of our chimney, chimney company. We sold the house that we owned uh, and the, 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 the business property. Uh, we eventually sold the chimney business, all of which the proceeds of which went into uh, to, to supporting the growth of, of, of Lisa. We didn't take any money personally out of any of those transactions. It all, all went into the growth. In 2005, we brought on a, um, um, a silent partner who bought 25% of the business and brought in a, a, a substantial, at the time, amount of money, which enabled us to buy some inventory. And then our big break happened. The, the big product in our industry for the first five years was definitely the, the acrylic material, the, the Corian or the, the Star on the, the, the Samsung product. But by 2005, the market was moving very, very quickly to a product called Quartz. The big brands in the U.S. are uh, is Cambria, Silestone, Caesarstone, and, and Handstone are the big brands that are known in the States. And we had the good fortune to have worked with uh, some people at Samsung who moved over to another Korean company called Hanwell, which was selling Handstone. And they were just launching the product in 2005. And because they were pleased with our success with Staron, they asked us if we would be willing to sell Handstone in, in, um, in, the, uh, in Canada. And this is based on our relationships with them. It was very, very much relationship-based. And uh, they were very generous with terms uh, in terms of allowing us to stretch out payment. They were very generous in terms of, uh, of marketing allowances, samples, etc. Because of that generosity, uh, it allowed us to put the resources we had into increasing our sales force and allowing us to open a, a, a proper warehouse and distribution center in Montreal. Well, give me, give me the emotions. Give me the emotions. I realize there's there's those period of times where you're you and you and Mark are kind of uh, you know you know uh, you know trying to figure whether to buy diapers or buy milk. But give me once you kind of got the stride and things were things are growing, revenues flying. Um, give me give me the emotions. Is it, is it uh, oh my god, I'm 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 thrilled to to be here, or are you still scared to death? Well, the after after we got to the point where our credit cards were no longer being refused uh, every second use out, there's a that's a nice step. A that's a good step. Relief step. And elation. <laughs> then, uh, then as a, with it's from about 2005 to 2008, we experienced massive growth uh, in terms of top line. We were we were very profitable because this was a you know a, a product that was 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 profitable. The Canadian dollar was starting to appreciate in terms of, of relative to the U.S. dollar. We were buying everything in American dollars, so that helped. And so we were starting to feel a little cocky. Here were these you know these these 30 year olds who had taken you know gone from zero. At this point, we're doing you know nine, ten million dollars. 
which for a Canadian company is is given the size of our market is 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 good. That's that's you know we're we're defined by our our government at that point as a, as a large corporation, which of course means they can tax us more and we get less tax <laughs> tax breaks. But anyway, it's still we we still crowed about that. So the issue we were facing 2008, 2009 to 2010 is we really did have good growth. We Our operations were humming nicely, so we were growing and we were making a little bit of money. Then we had the misfortune of starting to win some awards and getting some recognition. Uh, we won awards for our for our operations. We won awards for you know export development. We won awards for our um, human resources. And then we started getting a little bit of press, and we started to believe we started to believe what uh, they were writing about us in the media that we were you know smart guys and you know uh, Midas touch kind of guys. But the reality is, if we looked at our performance uh, in terms of true financial performance, we weren't as successful as we looked because we were we were being judged on top line growth. And while we were profitable, we were making a good chunk of our profit purely on foreign exchange. And as Greg Crouchery in his awesome book, Simple Numbers, points out, you know, you need a successful business runs between eight to uh, sort of between ten to fifteen percent. He does allow for a distribution company to be in the eight percent range, but we were never really in, even at the eight percent range. But we we were believing our numbers, and we were very much aligned, uh, the two of us, that our goal was growth: grow, 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 and uh, we'll make we'll, we'll make bigger profits. You know, once we get you know twenty twenty million dollar range, that we you know right now it's all about growing. It's about impressing Samsung, and it's about impressing Hanwha, and it's about impressing you know our. Our, our neighbors, our friends, our EO mates, and, and et cetera. And we used to joke uh, of that, you know, the famous line from um, Scarface when Al Pacino says to his mother, Mama, your son is a success. Well, that was our, that was our line that we <laughs> would say to each other, Mama, your son is a success. And, you know, you, we took our, uh, we started to believe it a little bit too much. Tell me, and so, I, I, I remember, and I'm sorry, Coach, Kajab, the when 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 you and I I think first read um, uh, Greg Crabtree's book um, Simple Numbers probably about the same time or at least you know you know I had sent it to you or whatever. Tell me your reaction when when you first read that kind of like was it one of those holy shit you know I've been thinking the wrong thing. Oh yeah, it was. I am a world class dumbass, um, and you know his 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 book is is truly simple numbers and the way he breaks things down and that you know at the end of the day. Profitability is, is is king, or as um, you know, it's famously said, uh, growth for growth's sake is good for babies, and only good for babies in cancer. Uh, it's, it was was very true, and that 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 really that that struck. I read the Crabtree book only after we were really starting to struggle with profitability, and where Mark and I were starting to diverge a little bit. Prior to 2011, we were both hell bent on 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 growth, and if we had a little bit of profit, that was. That was that was um, the, the bonus. We grew the business um, really through uh, um, you know some smart marketing. We had very very efficient operations. We we prided ourselves on having a, a good model in terms of, of inventory. We very rarely did not uh, supply our, our, our customers in a timely and effective manner. We grew from one distribution center to four. We were awarded territory in the United States, Northeast U.S. because of our success. Uh, Mark was directly managing the sales force very, very effectively. He was out there selling himself a tremendous amount. We both spent a lot of time in the field with our, with our customers. In 2011, we, we made two huge, huge mistakes. One is we assumed that because we were successful selling in one product line, we could literally layer anything else onto the business and we would successfully do so. So what we thought we would sell was floor, floor, floor tiles. 
which are, to our mind, is, you know, what's the difference between countertop surfacing and floor surfacing? It's all, it's all the same stuff. So we brought in a million dollars worth of this stuff. Mark and I just basically did it on our own. We, we literally could have been a Harvard Business School textbook case of how not to introduce a new product. We did no market research to determine if there was, in fact, a market for this product. We never spoke to our sales force to see if they could sell it or even if they wanted to sell it. We never checked with our leadership team to see if they thought we should be selling this stuff and how we should be selling it. We never checked with our sales management to see if they bought into the product. We never checked to make sure that we brought the inventory in in a, in a smart and logical manner. We, we distributed the inventory all over our distribution centers, not realizing that having 100 square feet of tiles in one warehouse is way too small. There are no tile projects that are only 100 square feet. So literally every time we sold something, we were shipping stuff from across Canada and across the U.S. to, to supply a small little job. We brought in too, too broad amount of inventory and not enough, not enough depth because we didn't, once again, understand the market because we, we had done no market research. I mean, that's just the beginning, and then it goes on and on and on. Uh, and that literally might have cost, almost cost the company the company, but it, at the end of the day, it cost us about a million dollars, uh, which for a smaller company was, was a big hit. A million here, a million there. Sooner or later, it starts turning into real money, doesn't it? Well, exactly, especially <laughs> when we, were not, we didn't have a massive capital base and we were not massively profitable. But the big thing was, was the distraction. It caused a huge, this huge distraction for our sales force because we were trying to force them to sell something they didn't want to. And Mark and I were very, very distracted by this, trying to figure out what, what to do about it. Compound that with, uh, at the same time, Mark and I decided, you know, for the company to really grow, he and I need to get out of the day-to-day operation. You know, we need to be thinking big pitch, big thoughts, big picture stuff, and we're too important to be involved in the day-to-day. So we, we literally, literally moved ourselves out of the main part of our office and built a little tiny office for the two of us in a corner of the warehouse and hired a uh, vice president of sales and a vice president of, of uh, finance and operations. Where did, where did that idea come from? I, I can't remember what book or what EO forum or what EO university we were at that we brought. That was the flavor of the month. And we brought it home thinking, that oh, makes sense. You know, we're smart guys. We need to be thinking strategy and we'll, we'll hire guys to, to manage the day-to-day. And I, I, Brendan, I, I, I honestly don't remember where it was. I remember presenting it to uh, to uh, to our the forum that you and I belong to together, and there were, there were a lot of questions, which of course I ignored because uh, I knew I knew I knew best. The big mistakes we made in that is I don't think there was necessarily a flaw with bringing in expertise and bringing in experts to help us go to the next business. But where we made a huge mistake is we didn't make sure that the two people we brought in bought into the culture. Of, of the business that we had. Mark and I ran a very strong base, business based on relationships with our staff, with our suppliers, and with our customers. He and I are both good at relationships, and our customers love and, and loved us. And same thing with our suppliers. We didn't make sure that the, um, that, uh, the profit of culture, uh, sorry, a culture of profit was, it was even part of the discussion, and frankly, it wasn't even on my radar screen until we started losing money in 2011 and this, this vice president of finance and operations literally started beating me about that and gave me an education that profit is oxygen. And it's, it's truly embarrassing to, to be saying this to, to, to uh, on the radio with two other entrepreneurs. We really didn't think, uh, you know, profit was that important. I mean, our profit would take care of itself. You know, you, you have a good enough top line, the, the profit will surely follow. 
Well, Greg Crabtree disabuses that notion, and I can tell you I've lived it personally. The profit does not take care of itself with top line. Profit is something that absolutely needs to be managed and planned for and, and controlled. We were out of control in terms of expenditures. We were running the business as a lifestyle from 2011 onwards. And frankly, we, we literally limped until, and we can, and frankly, the business limped up until I left in, in 2015. We, we really turned it around in 2014 because of some, uh, some Greg Crabtree's numbers and some strong advice, uh, frankly, from you, whereby, uh, you came up, we had a meeting, I had a meeting with our accountants and lawyers, and they basically said, you need to cut $500,000 out of your overhead. And, and as you said, that meeting was on a Thursday, and on, on the following Monday, we cut $500,000 out of our, our overhead. And frankly, the business uh, didn't notice it. I mean, um, it, was, it was a huge, Isn't that amazing? huge, huge. Yeah, it was. Over and over I and over again, when, 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 when we work with businesses and we say, you know, you guys are trading water, you're trading water, you're growing, but, you know, you just, you, you know, you, you read, in, you know, like Crabtree's book about how you generate cash and cash is the blood, the oxygen that keeps the thing going and realistic, you know, and, and unless you can generate the cash, it's not, it's not really worth being, you know, it's, it's not worth being, it's not, you know, it's not, you know, you can create a company with great culture and has a great purpose and all those wonderful things that we're all striving for. But if, if it's not cash flow positive to it's, you know, to a, to a significant degree, it's kind of a waste of time. I mean, it, it eventually will kill itself. Right. So tell me like that, the, the mindset, and, and then we're going to take a quick break here, but, Tell me the mindset of going from, you know, kind of like walking in there and saying, I'm, I'm going to make these cuts. And I think most CEOs or leaders or founders of businesses are like, there's no way this is going to work. This, this company's going to crumble. Yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it, was, it was probably the most unpleasant weekend uh, that I'd ever spent because, first of all, we had a management team uh, of seven people, which for a company of 20 million was, 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 was way too large. Um, and these were three good people. They were not doing anything wrong. They were competent. They were nice, nice people. But frankly, the company couldn't afford them. And so there was uh, about $360,000 of the savings and between expenses, uh, salaries, et cetera. That was a big chunk of the savings. Frankly, as I said, Mark and I were running a lifestyle business at this point, And a huge chunk of the, the rest of the savings came from simply cutting out some of the uh, expenses uh, that we were taking. We brought our salaries closer into line with what Greg Crabtree would call a, a market-based uh, salary commensurate with the size of our company. And even at that, our dual CEO model, we still were too top at, too heavy at the top because we were both drawing CEO-level salaries for a company of, of 20-odd million, and so we were still substantially over, over our expenses. So it was very hard, um, and it was very unpleasant having those conversations. It was very unpleasant handing in our company credit cards, uh, and it was very difficult letting those letting those people go. But I, I can tell you, the effect was instantaneous. That that April, we the action happened on the first Monday of April 2014. April to closed April 2014, and we made the largest monthly profit we'd ever made in the history of the company, because it changed the mindset of the whole company. That literally at this point profit finally came into focus for everybody that they realized these guys are serious. I mean, you don't cut half your leadership team uh, and explain and give the story why without, you know, people realizing and sitting up and taking notice. People literally started to, to, to find ways of saving money. Our, our, our AR clerk was able to increase our, our, our inventory, our, sorry, our accounts receivable cut that by about four days. Um, just, it was, it was literally, you know, one of those positive upward spirals that literally started to generate cash, 
profitability um, just with the change in, in, in the expense structure that precipitated a change in mindset in the company. And it truly was, you know, I obviously was, uh, was, was uh, watching, um, you know, closely from the forum side and uh, it was truly amazing how fast it was. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to, you know, get through as fast as we can uh, uh, the Jack's uh, kind of partner alignment, his thoughts on kind of third party expertise. Uh, we've kind of discussed the importance of cash flow and then maybe life after exit. So uh, we'll be back in a couple of minutes with uh, the second stage. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of, a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to The Second Stage. i got 45 questions to ask and only seven minutes to do it. So, uh, Jack... Uh, let's you know the, the the topics I was supposed to have discussed in this uh, episode partner alignment. Maybe talk about kind of what you learned about you know your partner alignment and how things change over time. Absolutely. So I mean my my last uh, business partner we were in together in business together for almost uh, twenty years, and for let's say fifteen to sixteen of those years we were we were in alignment and we had an awesome run. I mean we we, we were aligned with the idea of growing the company. We were aligned with our, our first business, and, and it worked beautifully. There was no tension in the office. It was like a, a perfectly running machine in the sense of the, the, the dynamics. He was, Mark was responsible for sales and marketing. I was responsible for ops and admin. And insofar as our company goals were growth-based, we were successful. About 11 years ago, in 2011, we had our first big stumble, and that really caused a division, if you will, in our partnership. And as I say, we brought somebody in who really – taught me the importance of profit and growing a uh, business profitably immediately that, you know, you, we can't put off profit growth uh, for long. You, you really need to be growing profit all the time. And there's no reason why you can't grow and be profitable at the same time. Where our alignment fell apart is that Mark's vision. And, it, it, you know, there's, there's merit there is that he was hoping to continue to grow the company and then the, pro, you know, significant profit would come, would come later on. Uh, and it's interesting, we were in a meeting one time and he commented that his goal for the business was to grow a great company. Um, and my goal was to grow, was to have profit immediately. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with either of those statements. I think you can have a, a great company that's profitable and you can be profitable and, and still be, and still be great. Where we really fell apart and it really hurt the company was our lack of alignment on, on, on immediate profitability. 
And so what happened that's is... That's a big one. Are, and that's a big one. It's a, it's a huge one. And frankly, uh, you know, there, there's merit to both, both, both sides. But what happened is the sales and marketing team was driving hard towards, you know, grow, grow, grow. And the ops and admin team, which I was responsible for, were driving hard for sort of profit now, profit now, profit now. And that doesn't work well in an industry such as ours where the margins aren't great at the best of times. And so what literally happened is our, our, our sales stalled at, you know, where we were in 2011. We pretty much had flat sales since. And from the years 2011 to pretty much 2000, you know, the April ending 2014, we had tremendous top line, about $88 million of sales. And we basically made no money cumulate over those, those four years. Huge top line for, for a Canadian company. And, and no and no revenue. And that is 100% related to a lack of alignment between Mark and myself. We tried, but we couldn't get aligned. And eventually, the, the, the disalignment becomes entrenched and to, to the point where neither of us is willing to move. And then literally, the company falls into a state of stasis where nothing can move forward. There's no initiatives that can move forward, even critical ones for the company. So, for example, critical for us was you know, new product development. Well, that stalled because we had different goals. Uh, sales market, sales changes, uh, even something as simple as, as software upgrades to our ERP system or CRM software stalled because we were just unable to come to alignment on anything because we did not look at things with the same lens. I, so I can't tell me, emphasize enough. Tell me, and, and, and I, that's a whole show in itself, and I, it's, it's killing me that I didn't, I didn't plan well enough, but tell me about the third-party expertise and the value that you got there for in about a minute, and then maybe uh, kind of I want to get to life after exit. Yeah. So I got to tell you, the third party expertise, especially if you're somebody thinking of selling a business, is, is critical. But what really drove our company to, you know, have a year of profitability last year was when, you know, they, frankly, it was evolution. Uh, but I also had a business coach who was saying the same thing for, for a while longer that, look, the company is only worth what somebody's going to pay for it. And if you're not profitable, nobody's going to pay anything for it. And uh, third party expertise is helpful because they can come in and be very cold about the, what the business is. And, you know, when you're in the business, as you know, you, you're, you're buying your, 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 your own story, you drank your own Kool-Aid, and you, you're sure that every, anybody on the outside is going to see why your company is worth, you know, 15 times revenue or whatever crazy number you've got in your head. So the third-party expertise was fantastic because they came in, and in this case it was, it was you and Evolution, and said, look, these are some, some things you, you, you should be doing, and this is why. So the key is to get the third-party expertise in, and I think it's to get it in as soon as you possibly can and make the changes uh, that make sense and that work and, and just, just do it. Don't, don't hesitate. Don't, don't ponder. Be, you know, put your pants <laughs> it's on. Worth and, 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 it's worth yeah, the money. It's worth the money. Yeah, because it's, it's about the money. If you're gonna, you you got to be profitable. And I do, and in, 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 in case the listeners have misinterpreted, I think what you guys built a great, re, great revenue business and then, you know, kind of in 2014 really started focusing on the profitability piece and it, and it came fast and furious. And I, and I congratulate you for that. I got about a minute here, Jack, and I was going to save about five, but maybe life after, life after the exit. Um, you know, how's it been? It's, uh, I got to tell you, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been great. Now, I was lucky because the process, my exit process was really quite long. Uh, <laughs> as you know, it was almost 18 months uh, from, the point we, <laughs> from the point we started the discussion and to the point where I got, got the checks. And literally, it vacillated back and forth between me buying Mark or Mark buying me. But life after exit has been fantastic because I had a, a pretty clear plan coming out of it that, 
I was going to be out of business for about a year. Uh, the first six months, I'd do nothing, and then I'd start looking to buy to buy a new business. So I guess the key was having a clear vision as to what my package exit would look like. Um, and so now I'm starting the process of looking to buy to buy a new business. And the the advice I got is don't do anything for six months because it'd be like getting a divorce and then getting remarried the next day. So take the time to to smell the smell the roses. And it's been great. I mean, I've had time to spend with, with my wife and kids more than usual. We've done some wonderful trips. Uh, it's nice having a little bit of cash in the bank. So it, it, an exit does not have to be the end of the world. It can certainly be the beginning of a, of a new a new adventure, either with a new business or going on to uh, to doing some wonderful things uh, in, in your community. Well, Jack, I have uh, absolutely I have absolutely enjoyed watching you kind of take this take advice and run with it, and, and uh, you know you and the Lisa team have enjoyed kind of watching this the evolution of uh, of Jack McDonald, and, uh, and and I truly truly appreciate your time uh, today and sharing your story. And as you know, uh, you, know uh, you know for those people out there, Jack is a very good friend of mine. And for all those out there in, in evolution land. Uh, Please uh, keep the passion for possibilities. It's all about what we can do with what we've got. Passion for possibilities. Please tune in again next time on the second stage. Thank you for tuning in this week to the second stage. Please join Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson again next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a successful week. 